Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. Shotty, it's been a while since we've had one of these podcasts, and I feel like some major world events have developed since we had our last podcast. What is going on around here? I don't even recognize these people that are on the screen anymore. This is a, a quarantine show. I don't even know what other people look like these days. It just it's, it's been a uh, unique time in the world, and uh, we've been trying to make the most of it doing some other stuff, but time to get the Family Feud podcast rolling back again. Right, and what other way to bring back the Family Feud pod than to bring on our cousin, Mr. Chris Trevino. Hello, Chris. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, hey, hey. Glad to be back here. Had to pay you guys 20 bucks each to let me be on this, but decided to be here, guys. Brought a beard. Didn't want to let Shotgun show me up, so. <laughs> I know. Full disclosure, as Shotgun mentioned, we're Skyping right now, so the audio levels might be a little wonky. I will try my best in post to make sure everyone's level. But yeah, these two are rocking some pretty nice quarantine beards. They're, they're pretty pretty big. How, how, what's the secret, guys? Mine's, uh, mine's all over the place right now. I mean, it's already like four different colors. I, I did grow my beard out once before, about six or seven years ago, so it's not quite the length that I had it at at, uh, at one point when USC was playing Andrew Luck. I had a sign. I went to a game as a fan and had a sign that Luck shaved his beard because he saw mine, and he was uh, he was very saddened by how his was not equal to mine. So mine not is not quite there at that same stage yet, but we're getting there. Couple, it, it seems like we're not, we're gonna have plenty of time because I'm not shaving until this quarantine's over. So I don't think I'm gonna. Uh, I have to worry about whether I catch up or not. Wow. Yeah, I just got tired of shaving every couple days. And this is the most I've ever grown my beard out. Like, I've been shaving since, like, I was 11. That's when it started. <laughs> got to get it going. Get to get it shaved. But some days, I think I look like Idris Elba, you know, looking in the mirror. I just feel feel good. But then, like, 80% of the time, I feel like I'm homeless I don't know how to take care of it. It itches all the time. There's probably fried cheese in it somewhere. Fried cheese? Reawakening my passion for making grilled cheese sandwiches. So it always feels like cheese is getting stuck, you know, the melty bits at the end. But if anybody on the P or any listeners have any beard tips for a novice like me, send them my way. DM me. Or if Shotgun, you want to be my beard shirt, but I know you've, you've had some experience. So I mean, you can help me out. You can go through and, and get all the beard products and stuff, and uh, you know, so you moisturize and keep what it. What does but... that mean? What is a what is a beard product? Is there a, like a mask for the beard? There are totally different. Is. There are different beard. There are different hair products that are designed just for beard to to keep it looking kempt and you know keep it looking uh, fresh and you know moisturizing it as well. Uh, but I don't care about any of those things because we're in quarantine, so you don't ever see anybody. So that's why mine's you know. Quite raggedy. You can you can see it on the uh, the tunnel vision shows. It's just it's just going. But there's a lot of things you can do it for, Chris, if you'd like to. 
I mean, people keep telling me I have to shave under here. I don't know where to shave it. I don't. I just don't. I'm just. I'm stressed. His beard has caused more stress than it was supposed to alleviate. <laughs> well, that's my key to co- jump back in and get us back on track. We're resurrecting the pod. So as always, you guys can email us your questions or submissions to the pod at familyfeudpod at gmail You can also subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Megaphone. Uh, but guys. You kind of already alluded to it. I just want to get a quick catch-up on kind of what's happened since the last pod. Basically, Shock and I did a preview of USC Spring Camp. We saw one one practice, got canceled the next day. I guess thoughts about sports in general being canceled, thoughts about that crazy Wednesday when the NBA got canceled, and then I guess anything you noticed from Spring Camp, if that's even relevant at this point? I mean, I think you just had to start with the that spring camp practice and how crazy that maybe 36 hours from mm-hmm. when that practice started. I mean, we go in and it's like, okay, we're going to get a couple players for interviews. We're going to try some social distancing things. So it was a little bit different kind of interview format. Getting to see the new coaches, getting to see some of those players like Brew McCoy and Gary Bryant out there for the first time. You know, getting to see those guys in action. And it was like, okay, we'll get some information out of this. Uh, you know, but we'll, we're going to get more information as the practices continue. We'll get to learn a little bit more. You know, I hate the the first couple of practices because there's no pads. You don't really learn anything until they put pads on, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, you're not taking away a ton of stuff from that first practice. But then the whole world changes. Like, literally in 36, 36 hours, everything is different. I went over to the baseball game afterwards, and it was the first time that they were going to – you know, there was no fans in the stadium. It was only – uh, players, families, and you know, immediate uh, you know, personnel and stuff with the teams. So it was a, it was much different going over there. The atmosphere was completely different. They were playing Xavier. I talked to Xavier coach about you know being on the West Coast. They had been out here for a week and you know, kind of dealing with things starting to develop and you know the fear of getting home, you know, and being stuck in the West Coast and with everyone afraid to fly at that time. I'm going to the Pac-12 tournament the next day. But during the baseball game, we hear, hey, Rudy Gobert has tested positive for the coronavirus. Is the NBA going to shut down? Are they canceling these games? They've canceled a couple games. Suddenly the NBA is done. You know, I I get on a plane the next morning to go to Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. And it's like, uh, are they going to play? Okay, they're going to play. But, you know, there's going to be no fans in attendance. Well, that all changes. By the time I landed, I get an email from the Pac-12 that we're we're nixing the Pac-12 tournament. So I go to Vegas, basically went and had a cupcake and flew back. You know, I was, I was in the airport for a few hours, but that was about it. So it was just, it was so crazy how quickly things developed. And, you know, there's so many unknowns going forward. And it's like, okay, well, are they going to continue to have spring practice? They're going to pause it a little bit. You know, what's going to go on? Is the basketball tournament going to have In 36 hours, everything had changed so much. So, it, it was crazy that how everything quickly changed and how we've kind of just been waiting around and trying to figure out what exactly is going to happen going forward. And is there going to be a college football season in the fall? Is everything going to be on schedule? You know, a lot of those questions still are not answered at this point. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been, it's been very interesting kind of seeing how things have developed and seeing, okay, how quickly things could develop in that first 36 hours and how we've gone you know, more than 36 days now since then and how little has maybe developed uh, since then, you know, how quickly some things change and how quickly, how slow other things have developed since that time. Yeah. I don't know how I follow that up, but yeah, that, (laughs) that day is like my marker for when like everything 
flipped upside down. That was like the last yeah. semblance of like normalcy, even though that practice was a little weird just because they had, you know, some of the social distancing stuff with the interviews at the end. Um, but yeah, I remember distinctly writing in the, the press room that day and there was a couple reporters left and everyone was like leaving. There was like, I don't think we're coming back. Like everything's about to change after this. Yeah. This will be the last practice. We're not going to be back here. And I remember I spent the night at my girlfriend's house and I remember I got the the message that practice had been canceled. And that was the last time I pretty much seen her because everything after that was we went and shot lockdown. Um, it wasn't as dramatic as a shotgun going all the way to Vegas for a, a cupcake or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, it's and I don't know about with you guys, but that's kind of felt like three years ago. So long ago. I, I don't know how to explain it, but just time is really been wobbled in quarantine I, I sometimes i forget what day it is and i don't know you know we all don't know what's going on but my i don't look towards the the big picture towards the future i'm just trying to take it one day at a time and just kind of get through like that that's how I, i'm processing it you've been coached up well then you know that's what every coach always says we got to take it one game at a time one day at a time we can't look at the big season picture so Chris is on, on on that level. I've been doing way too much focusing on the the big picture and getting lost in reading uh, research articles and whatnot to 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 for my own good probably. Uh, but it, it actually has been Chris Todd. Is, it feels like it's been three years. It's been exactly two months. Yep. As of today, you know, yep. we're two months away from uh, that day that there was the practices. And a lot of people, and I think Keely has even said this that. You know, March seemed like it just took forever, and there was so much unknown. And then April just kind of flew by, and you're just like, wait, we're, April's already done? We're on May now? Uh, so definitely a much different, uh, you know, how time can change when you kind of get used to the routine, and suddenly, you know, you're just like, the days are going by, and you're like, oh, crap, I didn't, I didn't do this, or I need to actually do this. Uh, you know, how quickly uh, April went by. We'll see what May does, and then we get into the summer and see how things kind of change then as well. Yeah, the crazy thing is, I Chris, do you remember we walked out of the press room together March 10th, and I remember telling you, I don't think we're coming back, and you were like, really? And I was like, I think it's over. And then Ryan called me after practice, too, and I was like, I think I think we're done. Like, I had been reading prior to that week what was happening in, like, Italy and whatnot, and I was just like, there's no way that we're doing this. And then suddenly it was just like, boom, 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 boom. But the crazy part was having to in practice walk over to where Dan and I do instant analysis, and that's when the NBA was canceled. And I'm like, how are we about to do instant analysis talking about, like, the minutia of, like, O-line, like, first team, second team, and now, like, a whole pro sport has canceled their season. So it was, like, a weird thing to try and, like, it's it's very serious, and at the same time, we're talking about non-serious things. So it was such a weird mind trip in that sense. Yeah, I remember that distinctly. But I also remember being at that time, I didn't think that would happen. I thought maybe we would carve out a couple more practices. You were skeptical. Before things were... I was, and I don't really know why I was skeptical, but, and what I thought was interesting is when I talked to, I did a story with Justin Dietrich um, last month or two years ago, whatever, 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 <laughs> one that was. but he, he said he, we kind of had the same mentality. Like a lot of the players did not believe that it was going to happen to them. They saw it happening all over the country and it being, you know, declared a pandemic, I think right around that time. But he, he said a lot of the players were shocked they didn't think it would happen to them. So I guess I kind of had that, that same mindset. I don't think it would really happen until it happened. So. And, and a lot of it is, you know, with sports and the potential of fans, it goes down to liability, you know, and no one wants to be liable for, you know, if, if someone does contract it or someone gets really ill or someone does die, 
and the potential of a lawsuit and stuff there. And that played a big part into, you know, sporting events and how quickly things closed down, I think, uh, because, you know, things were, okay, well, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And then suddenly one player gets it and it's like, whoa, wait, what happened here with Rudy Gobert? And then you get a couple other players that test positive for it and everything was like, we just can't. It's just, you know, the, the unfortunate thing uh, about, you know, or the difference in this virus has been that, you know, that it's so easily spread and yet not everyone takes symptoms. So asymptomatic spread of it makes it such different than any other virus that we really dealt with, considering that there's no vaccine for this one compared to some of the other ones that, that we've dealt with in the past. I know on the Dan Paul we've gotten a really big picture, but I just don't think it's even smart to go there just because things change so rapidly that asking for your opinion of what's going to happen in September, I think is just going to be moot by even next week. Um, but as far as the players, one of the things that stood out to me was, I think Amon Ross St. Brown tweeted out, like, this is the longest I've ever gone without playing sports. I mean, what does this do when you're kind of in the machine of, I play sports every season, I'm in the best shape of my life, and suddenly you have months off. What do you think they're doing? I know, Chris, you said you talked to uh, Justin Dietrich. How is that going on the player side of things when they're kind of just on their own doing their own workouts? I mean, the biggest thing that I got from talking to guys, it's just trying to find the routine through the day. I don't know how much of routine you guys have. Um, I don't really have much of a concrete routine, but I try to get up, do some work, make breakfast, work out. But like what Justin was telling me is that the key for them – because their whole lives have been regimented to this uh, routine, whether it's off-season workouts, uh, lifting, dieting, or you know, eating protein shakes at certain times, or eating, getting calories in their body at this time. So that was kind of the big challenge for them: uh, balancing, you know, online classes now, being at home, not having proper uh, workout equipment or access to food all the time. Because now they're back home, families are having to supply food uh to these big guys um but yeah i mean the biggest thing was just doing the best to find a routine that works for them given the circumstances yeah i think that's been an issue for a lot of people uh you know not just the athletes but particularly for them because just like you said they're so used to the routine and especially when you're on campus you get you know each semester you get your routine down you know the first week or so of it uh, you come out of fall camp, you know, you kind of have gotten into, you know, I'm going to be at, on campus from this time to this time for the football players. Uh, then your classes start, changes a little bit. But basically, you have it regimented. It's just exactly like you said, whereas now it's, okay, that onus is on you. It's not a coach telling you, hey, you need to be here at 6 a.m. for workouts. Or, hey, you know, you need to be in class because someone's going to go around and do class checks and stuff. That's the, the GAs or whatnot. You know, now it's on you. It's on your parents to say, hey, are you are you getting your work in? Are you doing this? You know, what is your desire? And, I, I, you know, I think it it the whenever we do get back to a little bit of normalcy and players get back on a field and stuff, the the condition strength and conditioning coaches are going to know real quick who really wants it. You know who and sometimes you need someone to push you in that direction to, to help people stay on that routine but you're going to find out who really wanted it, who was taking care of their business during the off season. You're going to have some people that are out of shape. You're going to have some people that are in great shape. And, you know, you know, the people that really want it are going to find a way, you know, whether it's doing pull up, you know, find a, a tree outside and doing pull ups on that or whatever it, it takes, pushing and pulling the cars and whatnot, or 
are you making excuses and saying, well, I don't have workout equipment here. I don't have this. Uh, you know, the guys that are taking care of business and going to the park every day and having a routine set down, those are the guys are going to come back and, you know, are going to be looking to, to make an impact immediately when, whenever we do get back to a little bit of normalcy. In that sense, is this a new type of way of weeding out the depth chart? I mean, like, could you see a completely different depth chart based on people's ability to be a self-starter? I think definitely, because I think you're going to see a lot of the guys that were the fringe guys, guys that want to be competing for spots, you know, they, they've got that, that drive, whereas maybe somebody's a starter and like, I got that spot locked up. Maybe they're not pushing themselves as hard. And it, it all comes down to the individual. It doesn't come down to the depth chart, you know, wh- where they're at on the depth chart initially. You know, we've been watching the last dance with Michael Jordan and just seeing the competitive fire and drive that he had and how he pushed everyone else around him. You know, guys that have that type of drive, they're going to find a way to get their work done. Uh, whereas there's other people that, you know, <laughs> you got other people that are really talented but need a three-day vacation in uh, Las Vegas in the middle of the season. So, you know, there's two different ways of going about it, and it can work both ways, but you see the ones that are the greatest of, of greats in, you know, many different walks of life are the ones that can push themselves even when there's not something to push them. You know, Michael Jordan making up stories and taking everything personally, uh, even if he has to make up a story about it, shows you the drive that he had. Are there some players on USC's roster that have that? Yes, I'm sure there are. But is it, you know, have they built the roster and built that kind of mentality? That's a big question. You know, that's a big question when you have a team that went five and seven a year and a half ago. Without a doubt. I want to go into hypotheticals, but I'll, I'll stop. We're, we're going to stay in the day, if you will. You don't want to give one hypothetical? No. I mean, part of the reason why I was in the hypothetical mindset is that I had like a team source tell me that a lot of the guys, the fringe guys on the defense, were really stressed about canceling spring camp because they were they were hoping to get in with Todd Orlando and company and really get a sense for this defense and have that time. So if you do have a scenario where you come back and, and basically jump into the season, are those guys at a disadvantage or is it kind of everyone's on the same playing field because you haven't been seen a field for months and you're all fighting for the same spot? I think it could be, I mean, it, you look at it on paper and I think it could be an equalizer just because everyone would kind of be on the same footing. But I also had do when I was doing some reading about Todd Orlando's defense. This was like in the months leading up to spring camp, where we're doing the research for like most anticipated and stuff like that, and uh, make building depth charts, kind of building the defense. I read that Orlando likes to keep a really tight defensive rotation. It's very small. It's not super. Uh, he doesn't use a lot of uh, rotation with his defense uh, for whatever reason. Uh, which obviously we would have probably asked him about that in spring, but yeah, that that that's the thing that would kind of make me agree with your your kind of point that kind of the, the backup guys, the fringe guys, would be worried about you know getting in with Orlando because if he's got like a tight rotation, you know, spring was your chance to like get in the forefront of his mind going into fall uh, for what who 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 could be in consideration for that for that defense and how it rotates in and out. I think that you're going to see that, you know, some people that are, you know, based on what type of learners people are, because it's a new defense, can you pick up these things from, you know, these Skype interviews and Zooms that they're doing and, you know, being able to to talk with the coaches and they get, a, I think it's four hours now of, you know, um, of instructed learning, but can you do it from that? Or do you, are you a person that needs to be hands-on? Do you need to be on the field and kind of feel your way through it? 
Uh, if that's the type of learner you are, you're probably going to be a disadvantage. You know, if you're a guy that can get everything mentally down just by seeing it, you know, and it's just, you know, the different types of learning styles, you know, you may have an advantage because it's a new defense. It's not good for USC that they're not having a spring camp when you're putting in a new defense. You know, same thing. Uh, I, I know the other times wrote about uh, Carl Durrell at Colorado. I mean, he didn't get to do anything there, basically, taking over that program. Um, so, you know, anytime where there's a new coordinator or new coaches, you're going to struggle if you don't have that opportunity to to implement it and try to figure out how it works and, you know, put it into action and, you know, physically see it and, and be able to move players around, that type of stuff. If you can do it on a whiteboard, you can do it over a, you know, over a computer screen, then more power to you. That That's going to give you an advantage going forward. So I think you're going to see some people maybe take a step forward that, haven't done it previously on the field just because they're able to grasp the defense a little bit quicker. That makes sense. But let's move on to non-hypotheticals. There's some big movements on the recruiting trail for USC. Interestingly enough, there's been eight commitments since USC spring camp was canceled. Um, first off, overall thoughts about this commitment palooza, if you will. Is this a product of guys wanting to make their commitments during this kind of crazy time, or is this expected around this time period? I just want to go on record that one of my spring predictions was that USC would get at least three commitments during the spring period, and at least two would be four-star recruits. I totally undersold it. Yeah, we went no, we knew going into the spring that it could be a huge one for the staff in terms of picking up commitments. I think last year they only got one spring commitment, and I think that was uh, uh, Josh Jackson. That was he. He committed on the field right there with his family, which was a cool little moment. But that was the only one, and he was a three-star prospect. But now USC is kind of running the table. One of the biggest questions we get during this time is kind of is this COVID stuff and this quarantine stuff one of the main reasons why kids are committing to USC? All these local kids, at least. And I don't. That's kind of hard to say. I've talked to some people, you know, in the recruiting scene locally and they kind of feel like yeah i mean it does it is having a little bit of impact you know kids i mean parents want their kids uh to stay a little bit closer to home on the west coast and naturally usc is a fit you know it's the biggest it's the program on the west uh, in california but i just think the biggest difference is that usc staff is just recruiting their ass off this spring and i think we'd see even more momentum if they were able to get kids on campus in front of these spring practices, in front of these coaches, seeing what these guys can do on the field. It's definitely a different time in recruiting. You know, we talked a little bit about how different it is for the players, uh, you know, that are already in college. But for the recruits, they're going through all these workouts and stuff too, but also the element of the recruiting aspect where this is a time when they would be taking trips across the country. You know, I want to go see these places. You know, how is Michigan at this time of year? How is Florida? I, you know, if I'm a national recruit, I want to get out and try to try to see what the country is like and where, what kind of fits for me. You know, do I really like a small uh, college town where everyone knows who I am? Or do I, am I, you know, like a Nebraska type of place where every single fan knows who you are when you step on campus? Or do I like a big city? Do I like a little bit of anonymity? Uh, you know, you find those things out on those unofficial visits and official visits, kind of checking places out and then talking with the coaching staffs and stuff. And obviously, I, I think these co these kids are being inundated by coaches, you know, because the coaches don't have anything else to do. So what are they going to do? 
well, I, I'm going to still try to be productive. So they're going out and recruiting and recruiting these kids really hard. And I, I think that's a huge difference for USC's recruiting staff is that everyone's recruiting so hard with them right now. Um, but just in general, I think, you know, there's a lot of, there's a ton of kids that are committing right now. Uh, so 24 seven, you know, our, you know, our mother, the motherboard uh, put out that, uh, that there has been more commitments at this point in the year uh, for this class than they're having the last two classes combined at this point in the year. So there's a ton of more, uh, there's a ton of commitments that are being made. So how is it going to change if, you know, travel restrictions are uh, lightened and kids can get back on campus and checking things out? Do things then change? Because, hey, I've committed to this school, but now I get a chance to go see these other programs that I really want to see, and I found something even better or different that I really like. You know, those, those things are still going to be to be determined. I think USC's recruiting goes back to just what Chris said, though, is the coaching staff is putting in the effort. They're making, you know, they're making their rounds through their Rolodex, you know, calling kids daily, you know, DMing them, doing all those different things. And that's why they're, they're building these relationships and they've just been on the ball the entire spring and, and taking advantage of the, you know, the downtime instead of, you know, using it as an excuse that, well, I got more time with the family. It's no, I'm going to put it in the same amount of time that I would have been spending, you know, at the office. I'm just going to now put it into phone calls to these prospects and stuff. And USC has been cleaning up. They, yeah, they've really been cleaning up. They've done a great job. And it's a huge turnaround from last year's class. Um, and the fact that they're locking up some local talent, but also going out and, you know, hitting some uh, some hotspot areas where they they haven't necessarily recruited in the past, but could open up some doors to even more prospects going forward. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like the biggest question we get uh, on Tunnel Vision and whatnot is people going, well, what's the difference? What's happening? Is there some miracle for USC that they're able to get these commits? But is this just a case of having coaches who are skilled in recruiting and are putting in the hard work, the effort that is required in this day and age in, in recruiting? I feel like USC went out and decided they wanted to get people that were really good recruiters and then good coaches as well, you know, put an emphasis on the coaches that they hired being good recruiters. And obviously that is, you know, it's coming to fruition with the coaches that they've hired and those coaches being the ones that are, the primary recruiters on a number of these these players that they've gotten commitments from. The effort is there, the energy is there, and it's like it's like when you're in a new relationship with someone, you're doing all the little things. You're getting dressed up, you're going on date nights, you're doing all these these little efforts to woo them. That's what recruiting has to be the entire cycle. That's when you're gonna get some commitments. One of the interesting developments of quarantine was that Corey Foreman decommitted from Clemson. I believe Clemson's first decommit since 2016. What does this mean for USC? And Chris, I know you talked to Foreman. What was your, your vibe when, when discussing uh, the whole issue with him? I mean, the vibe for USC that I picked up was, you know, very, very good. I mean, you have to remember before Corey was a Clemson commit, he was considered a big USC lean, you know, when they first offered him. I don't remember when exactly that was. It might have been his freshman year or in between his sophomore and freshman year. But, uh, you know, he was on campus a lot. Uh, I think we had a couple of crystal balls for him in when he was like a sophomore. But that was the favor to land him. And then, you know, things fell off with the 2020 recruiting. recruiting and then he decided to pop on Clemson, which was coming at him hard. Um, he took a visit up there, loved it. Um, so all those factors led him to Clemson, but now 
the, you got a guy recruiting him in Vic Soto, and the relationship with them is really, really good. He loves Vic. He loves Coach Orlando. They're showing him a lot of love. One of the big things with these big-time kids is sometimes they just want to see the love. You know, Sometimes they like that, that aspect of the recruiting. They want the attention, and USC is giving him a lot of that. They're doing little things, little things right. I mean, I wrote about how the staff wishes mom a happy birthday, which seems like a very small thing, but it's a big thing. Uh, for these kids. So USC is doing all the right things right now for the number one player in the, in the class. And, and when I talked to Corey Foreman after he committed to Clemson, I did a story on it for the LA Times. He, he talked about how he nearly committed to USC and how he nearly committed to LSU. And that was all about relationships for him. You know, those were about Kenichi Udaisy being at USC and he loved KU. And then when KU left, you know, that kind of broke the relationship with USC a little bit. You know, USC was still recruiting him, but, you know, he didn't have the same relationship with anyone on staff. And then KU was at LSU, and he felt like he was close to committing there. And then when he went to Clemson, it was all about the relationship with Dabo Swinney uh, there. So I, I think for him, the fact that, you know, he's talked about the, you know, when you talk to him this spring, he talked about the relationship he's already building with Vic Soto, even though they haven't met in face-to-face. You know, and the fact that he's uh, creating that relationship with Todd Orlando – that's huge for USC going forward. Doesn't mean they're going to land him, not necessarily. Doesn't mean USC is in a much stronger spot than they were two months ago. Definitely, you know the the fact that the defensive coaches have come in and made it a group and team effort, or their tag team, triple team, quadruple teaming, as particularly a guy like Corey Foreman on the recruiting trail, um, it is really showing him the love, and he's really appreciating it. And obviously, there's a big connection there with him and Drake Jackson, and those guys being. You know, close to brothers, basically. Uh, so USC's got a lot of positive momentum going for Corey Foreman. Uh, how they do on the field will still probably ultimately have a part, play a part into you know his commitment and whether or not he chooses to go to USC as well. Because if they go out and are, are crap on the field the entire season, then Corey Foreman's going to be looking for a place where he can go and win some games. And if USC shows that, hey, they're moving in the right direction, hey, they're winning some games this season – then that, that, that shows that maybe they can lock up uh, the number one player in the country. Yeah, in that sense, what do you think the timeline is? Can you even predict a timeline, given that we don't even know if there's going to be a college football season in 2020? No, I think that's really hard to do. And I think the fact that he's already committed and then realized, hey, I want to take official visits, and that's something he said multiple times, is the, the word official visits, and the fact that there's no visits at all right now, I think that puts all of that, you know, makes it really hard to determine when any of that stuff will happen. And the big time guys usually wait till the end for like the ESPNs and the signing day stuff. So that's what's on my mind when you think about Corey Foreman committing. I mean, it could be with these kids, it could be at any time. But he did say, watch his Twitter. His Twitter will drop hints when he's ready. So get him on notifications if you don't. Interesting. Jumping back into USC's actual commits, not hypothetical commits that USC fans want to be commits, I'm going to run down the eight guys who committed. Um, Y'all can give a little tidbits of what you think about them if you have any. First up, uh, in chronological order, on March 11th, Mason Murphy committed uh, exactly two months ago, actually. He's a three-star tackle, 6'5", 290 out of J. Sarah. Shadi, what do you have for me? Yeah, Mason Murphy was a guy I think he committed at the end of that first practice, Uh, so you know, he, he's, uh, he was the first one to kind of get this ball rolling with what they have done in this two-month period here and, and picking up eight commitments. It's crazy that there's been that many. Uh, but he's a, a guy that's pretty raw. He's got a, a development guy. 
He's got the size. He's got some good feet. But he's only been playing football for about three years now. So he's a guy that is going to continue to get better and can progress and progress. And they hope that he's a guy down the line that, that becomes a starter for him and becomes a, a multi-year starter later in his career, I think. The next guy up is Brandon Campbell, who committed March 28th. He's a four-star running back, 5'10", 190 out of Texas. Chris, it looks like USC is continuing that Texas pipeline with all their Texas coaches. Yeah, they got a couple linemen, if you recall, in the 2020 class, a couple three-star guys. But this is the year it's, it feels like it's starting to pay off uh, with some big-time guys. I mean, Campbell, four-star in the composite, all-purpose back. Significant because this is Mike Jinks' first running back commit since he's been on campus. And it's a huge position of need. USC will be looking at two running backs in this class. They'll only have, I believe, two scholarship running backs on the roster next year. So they need a hit. Uh, on this position in 2021, um, like I said, all-purpose back, uh, five foot ten, really good speed. I think he's in that four-five range. Tested really well in the Nike camps. I believe he had the highest spark rating or the second highest spark rating uh, in his junior year uh, last last summer. Um, can catch out of the backfield, good burst, can do a lot of things. Um, yeah, really good pickup and fits what this offense needs in a running back. And he's become kind of the uh, the Twitter follow that you need to yep. know for recruiting because he's been dropping hints about uh, when people will be committing and stuff as well. Right. That was another point. Thank you for bringing that up, Shadi. I'm not officially ready to declare it, but is he the vocal leader of the class over Jake Garcia? I was thinking Ooh, about this. Hard. Look, this is a weird take. I, My boy Jake, I don't know what Jake is doing behind the scenes right now, but he has been a little bit... Brandon's been the social media guy. So I'm just I'm just putting that out there. People can debate it, but you know, I think he's surging in those power rankings right now. I think, he, <laughs> Definitely I think he's surging, surging there. It's at least one A, one B. A couple more and it might flip. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That's true. I think the guy who always says, like, Trojan family, give this guy some love, that's kind of like the guy who like takes on the, the leadership role. And he's all the way in Texas too. He's running shop in Texas. So it's like <laughs> And that was exactly the point I was going to bring up. I think it's very interesting that it's an out-of-state guy, and I think that helps you a lot when you have guys like Quadarius Davis, who's out-of-state, or Julian Simon, you know, t- that is talking the talk about USC and it becomes more of a national thing than rather, you know, if, if it's just outsiders looking in and feeling like, hey, those are the SoCal guys, they're together. No, this is a Trojan family. It's a national thing. So I, I think that that's going to add credence to what USC is doing on the recruiting trail. Uh, so I don't think that it hurts that he's up there in those power rankings with Jay Garcia. Hey, d- don't uh, leave Anthony Beavers out of this either. You know, he does his in a different way with his, his uh, Twitter mentions and stuff. But I, I think he's up there as well. You're jumping the gun on Beavers right now, but but we'll get to that. But I'm just <laughs> I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, Campbell also is. Tr- Continuing the tradition of USC running backs liking Waterburger from Texas over in and out. I just need to also point that out. Didn't you guys get in like a Twitter conversation slash beef over the fast food restaurants? I'm not in a beef. I agree with him that Waterburger. <laughs> oh, what? And that is the take, ladies and germs. No. Yeah, that's that's an incorrect take. Um, but I think it is interesting that this will be the. What is this, three out of six running backs that USC has brought in that are uh, from the state of Texas? So, you know, following the the lead of Ronald Jones who's and Alka Cedric Ware, who are both with the Bucks uh, NFL uh, organization. 
Shotgun, you spoiled the rest of the commits, but we're going to keep powering through. Uh, I just touched on them because we were talking about the Twitter portion. I didn't say that we we wouldn't bring them up again. Spoiler alert. Shake my head. Uh, Zamari and Gordon committed on a day I'm partial to April 3rd, my birthday. Uh, He's a three-star safety, 6'2", 190, out of Warren High School. Shoddy, take it away. Yeah, I heard he did it just for your birthday. Of course. No, that, that's not true at all. Uh, Zamaria Gordon, which is something you'll see in a lot of these commits on the defensive side of the ball, a three-star safety, but he's got versatility. And that's something you, you're going to talk about a lot with the diff- these different defenders. That's something that th- it seems like this coaching staff has really pushed. He can play safety. He can play in the post. He can play over the top. He can also play cornerback. So he could be a, a potential guy that plays a nickelback. You know, if you want to use a three-safety type system, like – USC had when they had Marvell Tell, Leon McQuay, and Chris Hawkins. You know, he can play a cornerback. He's played that. You know, I don't know exactly how USC views him once he gets on campus. We'll see where his body's at. But, you, you know, you have a guy like Dorian Hewitt who came in as a safety and now as a cornerback. You know, they like those long, uh, uh, lanky guys on the outside. Every defense coordinator loves long, lanky guys that can play cornerback if they can move their hips enough. So that's the big question. When he gets on campus, what's his body looking like then? And where do they kind of slot him at? But he's a guy that gives him some versatility, different positions, uh, and a lot of potential there. Shotgun, I personally love short and stubby safeties. <laughs> <laughs> but also, just to add, great nickname, X-Man. Uh, if he doesn't have a highlight out in the world right now that isn't playing the song X, going to give it to you, I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't want him. I don't want him. Just send him back. Also, plays at Warren High School out in Downey. I used to cover Warren when I was a newspaper writer. If you ever get a chance to go to the Warren-Downey game, best local rivals, rivalry games in SoCal, incredible atmosphere. I, that was a game I was probably going to go to to go see him play uh, this season. Wow. We'll see if that still happens this year. Uh, interesting that it's, his nickname is X-Man. His, uh, his name is spelled with an X. However, it's pronounced with a Z. Zamarion. This is why you're not a defensive coordinator, Chris. That's all i got to say. Short and stubby, baby. Give me short and stubby. Plug <laughs> the gap up. Let's go. A little waddle to the line on the blitz. Let's go. Short and stubby, baby. All that penguin defense. Let's go, baby. Short and powerful can work. You know, not everyone has to be 6'4". No, some people, some people can be Troy Palomau. But short and stubby is not exactly a great defensive trait for anyone short, that is beyond short, the nose tackle. Stubby. Short and stubby, gang. Let's go. Wait, that's what Turnover Traveler is. He's short and stubby. It works! Oh, my God! (laughs) We've done it! We've come full circle. Let's end the pot here. Let's wrap it up. This is going downhill from here. Pretty much. Hashtag short Short and stubby, gang. Let's go. Short and stubby, gang. Let's go, baby. Yeah, please direct all your hashtags to Chris Serino on this one. Uh, Moving on. Anthony Beaver is coming on April 15th. Chris is wildin' over there. Uh, he's a four-star athlete, 6'1", 195 out of Narvon. Chris, uh, what do you got on, on Beavers? The Beavers, yeah. I've known Beavers. I met him at the All-American game two years ago. He was there. I believe he's a commit to the All-American game this in San Antonio. But to be, truth be told, I have not seen him play in person. I've had a couple opportunities, but things did not work out. I was at Narvon last year to catch a couple Jake Garcia games, but he had the shoulder injury. Every time I feel like I'm going to get a chance to see him play, he just hasn't been in the lineup. But yeah, big, big safety. USC has been on this guy for the last like two years. He committed early to Oregon. USC always was keeping, you know, pace. He always talked about, you know, staying home 
was something they've been pitching this whole time, and that's always been like in the back of his head. Obviously, a LA guy. And then when Orlando came on, one of the first calls went to uh, Beavers, and then from there, him and Navar, and then when Dante flipped, I mean, that was just the, the writing on the wall. Decommitted shortly after. So, and like you said, he has been probably the most vocal local guy recently uh, on social media. The next commitment came two days later in Maximus Gibbs on April 17th. He's a three-star tackle out of Bosco, 6'6", 360. I think it's fitting that those two guys were back-to-back just because those two guys played together in the Snoop League. Chris, take it away. Yes, yeah, Snoop League, Maximus Gibbs. This is probably one of my favorite uh, commits in this class. Someone I think that the potential for this kid is just unbelievable. Uh, I remember the first time Bosco coaches were talking about him when he first enrolled. I remember seeing him as a freshman uh, that summer. Obviously, super big kid. He's the kid that your your eyes are going to go to first. But he was massive. He's massive now, but he was massive when he was first on campus as a freshman. And I remember the coaches telling me, like, yeah, you know, this kid's got potential. But if he doesn't cut down on that weight significantly by the time, you know, he's ready for varsity, then I don't think he's going to be playing. But credit to Max, he's put in a lot of hard work, put in the time, cut down nearly like 40 to 50 pounds off his frame, got a lot of good playing time last year uh, on the varsity with for that, for that national championship team. I mean, if you haven't watched his huddle highlight, go watch it. Just a lot of fun of him just like absolutely pancaking. I mean, pancaking dudes, just falling over dudes. I feel concerned for some of these kids. In the Trinity League, he's pancaking dudes in the Trinity League, considered one of the best uh, the best high school football league in the country. But yeah, this isn't a guy who's going to help you in year one unless something tra- tragically happens with your your offensive line depth. Maybe not even year two in terms of like a starter, but get him in a weight room, get him with a nutritionist, cut more weight, get, uh, get him doing college lifts and all that. And I'm telling you, this guy could be a world breaker when, he, uh, when he's ready to contribute. So I love the potential here. Uh, you know, still finding that edge, that nastiness, but it comes out if you watch the tape. So I, re- I really like this pickup. I feel like USC has tried to experiment with offensive linemen and picking them up sometimes and it doesn't fully pan out. Is this, how do you feel like this one will go, Chris? Because I feel like people are a little jaded by offensive line projects. I think of all the projects you can point to over the last whatever, how many years, I think this is your best one. I just I just see the work ethics there. I see the talent on tape. He's played in the best, like I said, the best league in in, in America. He's getting some of the best coaching in high school. So I think he's going to be relatively well polished project, if you will, coming into USC. He's going to have they're going to have a lot to work with. And like I said, just get him in that weight room for a couple years. Get him eating on a a, a better college regimen diet, and then I think he, this kid's going to blossom. And it's not just that they're playing the, the best league in the country, but they're playing a national schedule, too. You're going up against DeMatha. You know, the team they were going up against last year, there were, I think, three uh, when they played DeMatha and beat the crap out of them, Chris, for you, since you went to DeMatha. Uh, but they were, I think, three, you know, D1, D linemen on that, that roster. So you're going up against really talented kids. Uh, you know, you're playing teams across country and everything. So he's going to get the competition he needs to continue to get better. Now, if you put him on that Jude Wolf junior to senior year, you know, uh, trim plan, where Jude Wolf just went from, hey, th- we think he might have to be a tackle to, 
that dude's lean and he's a rock now and he's going to be a tight end for sure in college. Uh, you know, you might have be able to push him towards, you know, some playing time even earlier than maybe you anticipate at, as of right now after getting that commitment. And offensive line is all in high school is all about just projecting. What do you project this guy to be at at the college level? So while a lot of people are poo-pooing the linemen they signed uh, in 2020, those six guys, a lot of those guys have really good frames, really good body types already. Just let them develop for a couple years, and then they could be you know, really good starters down the line. But it's all about projections, and I really like the projection for Gibbs. Um, and also, if you haven't watched Snoop League, go watch it. I did the whole – I watched it all uh, leading up to his commitment, whenever that was, just to get – I did a story on you know, him being – Heavily featured in that. There's some really colorful quotes about him in there, which I did not print, but you can go uh, check that out for yourself. And, and Chris, you talk about the office alignment and how it's uh, projection-based, and that's why it's the most difficult position uh, as far as rankings go and as far as you know, uh, figuring out who are going to be the offense alignment in the NFL draft. You know, those are often the guys people are like, oh, you recruiting people don't know anything because this guy was a three-star and I am ranked. And it's usually based off offensive linemen because sometimes it's a guy that was a, a basketball player that didn't play much in high school or he was a tight end in high school and he becomes an offensive lineman. It, it's the, the hard position probably to kind of judge and see where guys are going to be in four years. Uh, you know, quarterback play is the, probably the hardest to still judge overall, uh, but offensive linemen are the hardest to project where they're going to be. And that's why you guys, you see a guy, USC's best offensive lineman recently has been Austin Jackson. You know, he just went in the draft in the first round. In high school, when I saw him play, he was 260 to 265 pounds. You know, by the time he showed up on campus the next year, he was over 300 pounds, and he was trying to figure out how his body worked at 300 pounds after putting on 40 pounds. But all about projection there. He was able to eventually learn what his body needed to be at and continue to add weight. Now he's like 320, 330. So uh, that's – you know, that's 60 pounds difference from where he was three years ago as a high school player. So it, it's hard to kind of judge those guys and figure it out. So a lot of it is about figuring out the work ethic of those type of guys and whether, you know, do they have good feet and do they have the work ethic to put in to, to become good players? Yeah, I think Max has really good feet considering his size. If you watch his stuff, he's really, he's really kind of twitchy a little bit, but I wouldn't put him at tackle. I would put him at inside and at one of the guard spots. That's where I think he projects best. I think the reason why USC fans might, as you said, Chris, poo-poo uh, the offensive line projects is I think not so much that you're, you're – it's not the fact that you have to develop, it's who's developing them. And I think sure. USC fans are a little iffy on whether or not that will truly come to fruition with some of these guys. And, hey, a lot of those uh, – a lot of guys that are ranked five stars as five-star offensive tackles usually pan out. It's, it's very rare when the five-star tackles don't pan out. Very true. Also, can I just add that after quarantine, I might need that Jude Wolf uh, diet plan, <laughs> that, that slim death. <laughs> just saying. Uh, moving on to the next commit, Kalen Bullock, committed on April 18th. He's a four-star athlete, 6'2", 175, out of John Muir High School. Again, another guy that is, is versatile, can play multiple positions on defense. He's a guy that USC is looking at to play safety. Uh, we talked a little bit about Max Gibbs. One of the big question marks, and it has been from the Snoop League documentary stuff, uh, is you know, does he have the toughness? Does he have the the fight inside of him? You know, and bringing that out and getting that tenacity out. You don't have to worry about that with Kalen Bullock. You know, he's a he's a dog, and that's a you know how his his high school coach referenced him. You know, he's willing to come down. He's only 175 pounds right now. He's, he's big, long, lanky. 
but he's not afraid to come down in the box and hit somebody. He's not afraid to, to be able to roam over the top of a defense, but he's not afraid to come down and be a, you know, an enforcer in the box as well. So he's a guy that, that brings versatility as far as positionally, but also from the, the safety position, he's going to bring the versatility where you can play him in the box if you want to because he's not afraid to come out and help out in the run game. Yeah, I went to a mirror practice seven-on-seven thing uh, out in Pasadena uh, like three weeks before spring camp was getting going, and I got a chance to see him out there. Really, he loves the trash talk, loves the chirp. Like you said, dog. This guy, there there was no pads of any sort. They were just like, uh, you know, like seven-on-seven. But this guy was still like not hitting people, but he was still like, you know, given a little bit of extra thump. He had a nice, really picked off pass, and, and then another one he came up and collided with two other guys, but got up like nothing was the problem. So this guy's a thumper, and, he, and obviously he needs to tack on a little more uh, size to that frame. But yeah, I think that's a really great pickup for that secondary. Moving into the month of May, USC picked up a commitment on the first day of May, May 1st. Uh, Quadarius Davis, the four star wide receiver out of Skyline High School, six foot 193. Chris Trevino, what do you think about him? Yeah, another Texas guy. I mean, we had gotten word that a commitment could happen in April, but uh, kind of waited and waited, and then I guess he just decided to pop there on May. But yeah, uh, really good, really good speed. Didn't uh, played at Skyline. There was some QB problems, so you're looking at his stats and you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't really see the production there. But he had a QB issues. Didn't really have consistent play with his offense. But my cousin, he's a coach out in the texas area um he's a middle school coach but he's also working with high schools but yeah he told me this guy's a real deal uh big time playmaker big guy physical uh can go up and make the tough catch so really good pickup for them but the problem is you know he did say he told gerard martinez in his commitment story that you know his mom is kind of worried about him going so far from home so this is going to have to be one where you circle and watch and a guy like in usc keep this guy in the fold um so yeah, that's going to be something to watch down the line as we move, as we get closer to December and uh, signing day and stuff. Yeah, he's going to be a guy that's going to be a continual recruitment. He's already yeah. committed twice. He's committed to SMU. He committed to Texas. He committed from both of those before committed to USC. So that's one USC is going to have to stay on, especially him being halfway across the country. They're going to have to work on him uh, constantly to keep him in this class. Last but certainly not least, Julian Simon committed to USC on Sunday, May 10th. He's a four-star athlete that's projected to be a linebacker for the Trojans, 6'2", 221. Uh, he comes out of Lincoln High School from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Shotgun, we talked about this on Tunnel Vision. This seems like uh, more than a commitment in the sense that you could go uh, maybe establish a connection not only in the Pacific Northwest but with that FSP 7-on-7 team. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Julian Simon is a guy that plays running back, plays receiver, linebacker, safety, does a little bit of everything. USC is looking at him as a linebacker. You know, he's got a chance to add some bulk to his frame when he gets to college, when he focuses on one position. So I think he's a guy that, you know, he already has some of that old man strength. You know, people were commenting after he committed that he looked like he was, he's already looks like he's 23 or 32 or something. Uh, he's actually pretty young. I think he's, I think he's only like 16 years old right now. 16 years old. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but he's already got some physicality to him. So once he's able to focus on being a linebacker, I think he's going to add some weight to his body and become a bit pretty big thumper in the middle of a defense. Uh, but also the importance of not only 
getting a, a, a player from the state of Washington. USC has not signed a four or five star player since back to back years where they got Zach Banner and Max Brown in 2012 and 2013. Uh, there hasn't been a ton of talent coming out of Washington until recently. The last couple of classes have been much more stacked. This class has a ton of talent as well. JT Tuimo uh, Loao, who is the number one composite player, I believe it is, in the country. Um, and so, you know, he's a good friend of Julian Simon. USC is right there in the mix with that uh, recruitment as well. And JT is one of the best athletes I've seen. Uh, he's a jumbo athlete. He's, he's a defensive tackle, but he can play tight end. I saw him just dominate a seven-on-seven game last summer with the FSP. And getting into the mix with the FSP, you know, four sports performance has been producing a number of top players from the Pacific Northwest. But not only just from the Pacific Northwest, they've gotten they've got ringers on their seven-on-seven teams from the Northern California, from Arizona. They bring in players to play with them as well. So guys like Keely Ringo is a five-star guy who's one of Keely's favorites because obviously the name, okay. uh, who committed and went to, to Georgia this year, but was playing in uh, Arizona last year. You know, Troy Franklin, who's one of the top uh, wide receivers in the state of California, in Northern California. You know, he's going to be playing with FSP if there's any uh, 7-on-7 action this summer. So, you know, they are producing a, a number of talented players up there uh, with, the, with the four sports performance 7-on-7 group. So getting into the mix with them. And Julian Simon's a guy that might be, you know, can, can be one of those ringleaders potentially with some of the other players in that area up in the Seattle-Tacoma uh, area. So I think it's a, a big commitment from the fact that he is a athletic guy and another versatile defender, but also for the other aspects of his, his recruitment and what he can bring to the recruiting table for the rest of USC's class. Can you name the five other uh, Washington area signees USC has had since 2000? <laughs> Taylor Just because, because you wrote about this? Uh, Taylor May, Zach Baby. Van, Max Brown, Caden Steffen, Trey Davis, and is that it? There you go. You win. Okay. Speaking of a JT in the Pacific Northwest, Chris, you wrote an article about what it would take for USC to get the number one class in the nation. That involves that JT. It also involves Mason Smith and Corey Foreman. I guess what would it take for USC to get that whole load of talent? Hey, yeah, Keely, I- Keely, what's JT's last name? Uh, I'll hand that to you, Shaka. <laughs> Timberlake. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I actually had a lot of fun doing this uh, piece where I just basically threw in, I went to the class calculator on the 24-7 sports site, and I kind of built a class that I think would compete for the number one spot. Uh, Just a few things that I thought it would take. It's going to take at least 300 points, I think, to kind of get into that top three, top two spot. Uh, This class ended up being uh, around 316 points, which would be second all time. Uh, for USC, um, and I thought it would. It's going to take a full boat, and maybe even a little bit more. So that'd be twenty-five. So I went twenty-six because so USC might have the room to take a little bit extra over the limit. Um, but yeah, the big uh, foundation of that class is you know Corey Foreman, who I have my crystal ball in for USC, and I believe they're kind of the leader right now. Um, and then the Mason Smith, the five-star defensive tackle out of Louisiana which, you know, they have, those two are, are really close and they have been telling every media under the sun that they, they are a package deal and they want to play together in college. Uh, we hear this every year. Uh, I know, Shaka, you've probably heard a couple of where package deal uh, lines from when you're talking to kids, but 
doesn't always pan out. I would say maybe like 10% of the time, maybe even less than that, it actually pans out. But yeah, he had the famous uh, 99% sure that we're going to play together, 1% that being out in USC, which is kind of like a miss kind of quote. I think he kind of, he didn't say it as clear as he wanted. I think it's a lot better chance than 1%. Uh, but I played into that and put them in the class together. And I also gave them uh, JT uh, Timberlake. Uh, Shotgun, if you want to take it away with the last name. Tui Moloau. Tui Moloau. Tui Maloau. Yes. So I also gave them JT Tui Maloau and like that defensive line class is like ridiculous. That's like three five stars all maybe in the top 15 or something. Uh, but yeah, I, I think USC is in a really good position with JT. Greg Biggins uh, alluded to that in his commitment analysis of Julian Simon talking about how close him and Julian and JT are. So, and I actually mentioned that a little bit. Uh, I think if this staff had been in place a year earlier, I think USC might be the leader at this point for JT. But I think they're right there in the mix with Washington. I think Ohio State's fading a little bit in this race. And that'd be also big because you keep JT away from Ohio State in these team ranking, uh, this race for the number one spot. Um, but yeah, if there's any other position you guys are curious about, I'll let you know. But you can see that on uscfootball.com. Uh, but yeah, that's the number one class, 316 points. It's a fun, fun thing to build. For USC to have the number one class, I think, and more importantly for them to build the class they need, what are, what are a couple of the positions you think they have to go out and get that aren't currently committed? I mean, obviously USC is looking at taking two quarterbacks in this class. You know, there's a couple of guys that are on top of the list, a guy like Miller Moss, one of our, our fan favorites over here with the Family Feud. Uh, just because he's always been great with us uh, at, at events and different things. What about uh, any other positions where you, you see USC really needs to attack and, and get somebody? Yeah, I don't know. If, yeah, that's a great question. I went a little, I think people are going to be interested in my wide receiver class because I went out and I put in, I don't think wide receiver is a, like a massive, massive position to need, but it's a place where you can get some really quality players in this class, especially with Tyler Vaughn's you know, schedule as a redshirt senior going to leave and then, I think we're all probably pegging Amon Ra to leave after this junior season. Um, so I went out and got three wide receivers. I did Troy Franklin, the the number one receiver in California, which is a guy you know USC you'd want to keep home. Uh, I think they're in there with Washington. I know you've talked to him, uh, Shotgun, when we went up there. Um, and then I also gave them Bo Collins, and I know he's probably the best local receiver in the SoCal area, not just all of California, but he's the same John Bosco guy. USC has been putting up a fence around Bosco. He's committed to Clemson currently. So I, my my idea was if maybe Foreman flips to USC, then maybe he starts getting in Collins' ear about maybe you should stay home. USC was really big on him. You really hard on him, Kerry Colbert was, uh, before he, he went on and committed to Clemson. So um, I went with those two guys. And I think, yeah, those are my two, uh, in addition to Davis. Uh, so that's three four-star receivers there. And lastly was the linebacker class. I went with the five-star outside linebacker, Rayshon Davis, currently committed to LSU. I projected like a flip here. Um, then I also threw in the four-star inside linebacker, Ethan Calvert at 1,000 Oaks, who USC has been surging for. Todd Orlando has been making him a huge priority uh, since he's come on. In addition to Simon and then the... Uh, the initial 2020-2021 commit, commit, Ma Nateote, 
So that's a four stud linebacker class right there. Very interesting. Now, if you want to see more about what Chris is talking about, be sure to check out his article on uscfootball.com. We have a couple more topics to talk about before we wrap it up. This time with USC's new hires, they are two new people to kind of beef up their video production team, specifically in the football department, Jacob Brown and Will Stout. USC went out and poached them from LSU, getting the best in the business. Now, Chris, you're a youth like Shotgun and I. I don't know if I should classify Shotgun as a youth, to be honest, um, but <laughs> shots fired. But we had some takes about this. I want to get your take because you're in the middle of us, age range-wise. What were your initial thoughts to these hirings? Dabbing. <laughs> I was dabbing, you know. Uh, no, I think they're awesome. I think a lot of, I remember people on Twitter, some people when we were doing all our ex- exclusive coverage, people were like, why is this a big deal? Well, yeah. I think you hit it right on the head that this is a big deal because one, you're poaching the best of the best away from someone. There's nothing better than doing that. I mean, USC's already poached these guys. They poached Dante from Oregon. They poached the graphic guy from Oregon. I mean, go out and get the best. That's that's what the big problem has been with USC, not bringing in the best talent available. And hype videos are awesome. Who doesn't love a good hype video? If I could make hype videos like that, I would make hype videos about everything. I would make hype videos about me making waffles in the morning. I would make a hype video about me getting ready to go out on a date. These are awesome uh as you know, me and Keely, we do our little uh, inside looks. We're trying to bring those back because 2020 was our down year, but 2021 is our bounce back. But yeah, if I'm lucky I didn't do the interview with those guys because I would be picking their brain all day about technical stuff uh, to try to take those to the next level. But man, kids love those kind of things. I mean, that's why we get kids want to do the inside looks with us because they want to be on video. They want to see themselves in this kind of visual format they want to tell their story and this is an opportunity for usc to tell their story the way they want to and i'm just excited for all the cameo voiceovers they're gonna get um down the line i wonder who they're gonna get in hollywood so yeah i I tried to pick their brains and try to get some inside information on uh who they're gonna be going after there you know with so many people with usc ties and uh, they weren't about to let those secrets out. Uh, I don't think they've actually kind of gone that far yet because there's so many people that are connected to USC that could potentially be a part of that, uh, which was something that was really cool that LSU did, getting a lot of local celebrities and you know uh, uh, former players and stuff to help narrate those video, hype videos to help out there. Um, I, I think that these hires, just like the things you guys have touched on, are huge for the fact that USC is going to pick it and get somebody who's shown that they can really uh, be outstanding at their at their job. Um, but I, I think that it, it's huge that they're creating this department. You know, they're they're it's not just that they're hiring someone new for a position. They're they're creating a whole new department of video production for the football program. So this is going to be separate from the video stuff they've done before. Uh, Jacob Brown is going to be the director of it. He's taking over and, and going to lead that program. And then he, he's told me that one of the things he wants to do is tap into the student body at USC, in part, uh, you know, the film school that USC has, and try to get some of those people to, sh- to show them, you know, what can be done there and how this could be a job opportunity for them going forward. So that's something he wants to tap into. He's, he's really excited about the diversity of Los Angeles and, you know, the USC student body to, to people bring different ideas different backgrounds that can, can, you know, um, can connect with different recruits. And that's something that you're going to be looking for because it, it's about the high videos and it's great. And Will Stout, the, who's going to be the assistant uh, to Jacob, you know, he was great at editing those. But it's also about creating, you know, marketing for players 
You talk about the name uh, likeness deal that's going to be coming in the future. You know, it's about creating, you know, those individual, you know, the marketing plans for players going forward, because that's one of the things that, that Jacob talked about is about creating connections with the players and helping them develop their brand. And, and that's something and that goes from the Joe Burrow Heisman trophy, you know, hype video, but it also is, you know, the former offensive lineman from two years ago that's coming back and, you know, want something done. It's about creating those type of connections. So it's not just about high videos. There's a little bit more than that. There's the recruiting aspect that goes into it. It's the marketing of the program overall. I think that the, the fact that USC realizes this is an area where programs like LSU and programs like Clemson have done really well recently and really have show, been able to showcase their brand on a national level, you know, as a program, as individual players and different things like that. I think that that's huge. They have identified this as an area and went out and, and attacked it by getting two people that have done really well in it this past year. And, uh, you know, the, the director of video at LSU is, you know, one of the best uh, in the country. He's going to win. He's probably going to win the video coordinator of the year award this year. They give out that, that out every year. Uh, he's won it once before. These guys worked under him. I think these guys got a, got a, the future of potentially winning one of those at USC. Could you imagine what a Michael Pittman, Bolitnikoff finalist hype video would look like? Yeah, and I, I think that those are the type of things, you know, just him catching balls over people, you know, putting that out there and, you know, him having an opportunity to win an individual award would be great. And this is coming from the same program at USC who didn't even really hype Carson Palmer as a Heisman Trophy uh, finalist, as a candidate. They didn't really hype that up as it was going. Now, things, a lot of things have changed in 20 years, but still, this shows you that the, the power of the USC brand and a player that is doing well, how much hype they can get. Why is Keaton Slovis already a Heisman hopeful this, this year? Because the hype that can come with USC, now you put behind it the effort and the graphics and the visuals that really entice certain people and really grab people's eyes, I think you're going to hit a whole new audience and you're going to hit a whole new audience of recruits as well because, you know, they're going to be able to see these type things on, you know, social media and different things. So I think it's, it's, it's a big thing for USC, the way they went about this and the fact that they realized this is an area they should attack. Look, this is what I'm hyped for. We're going to get that Will Ferrell narrated video. <laughs> We're going to get a Matt Lionheart, Lionheart narrated Keaton Slovis Heisman thing. I want an Olivia Jade narrated season opening <laughs> video. Chris Trevino. And can you imagine a Reggie Bush narrated hype video? What about as long, as long as it's just – Is it all going to – it just needs to be all Reggie highlights. Like is he going to narrate his own highlight video? No, he's going to narrate a season opener. The, and what's going to be amazing is that, you know, if they bring Reggie back and they get the other Heisman Trophy winners from USC to all narrate it together. Oh, yeah, that's, the one, that's, that's the one Jade does. That's the one Jade does. <laughs> Chris. What? Come on. But yeah, there's obviously there's a that's ton of people with with USC connections that can that can, uh, you know, can be narrators, but also people with film connections that are connected to USC, whether it be the. You know, the George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and, you know, those guys having their Ryan name on the Kugler, building baby. right beside it, or Ryan Coogler, as I was about to point out, you know, the Black Panther and Creed director who uh, is a USC graduate as well. There's some great connections there, and those guys are going to be able to tap into those type things, and I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to end up lending itself to some, some really cool stuff that's going to come forward in the future. But 
You know what really helps those high videos? Winning. 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 Yeah, I, that's what bothered me about all this is that somehow us covering it and and marking that it was important and an important development, people thought this isn't going to translate to wins, blah, 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 blah. It's, no, no. This is improving what's around you, improving what you can do. But of course, winning is important and winning is required. But I just didn't get the, the some of the takes that came out of this. I already went on a rant on television. <laughs> Don't need to do it again. But this is USC going out and getting the best of the best, something that USC fans have always knocked the program for. So this is a good development. It's a good thing all around. And, you know, with name, image, and likeness coming down the pipeline, I think this is an advantage for USC in the future. Alrighty, well, that's all the USC football stuff we're going to talk about. We're going to have a quick segment called Quarantine Corner, what we're up to, what we're watching. But if you're heading out, thanks for listening. But guys, Quarantine Corner, how have you guys been keeping yourselves entertained while in quarantine? Shotgun, I know that you have been on a long trek, a stupid trek, to watch all of the MCU in order, which Chris and I believe you are doing some excessive additions to your list. How are you going on that list, and what does your list include right now? So I decided the MCU being the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I decided when I was, I'd watched a couple of the, the films, but I decided I'm going to watch all the, the, se- the series, all the seasons, and I found a list online that puts everything in chronological order, uh, you know, for the characters. So I've been going through that. So I'm, you know, there were, there's actually, I think it's 60, 68, 69, 70 different uh, um, elements to this list. And I'm in the mid fifties now or the low fifties. So I just finished the first season of Punisher. I watched a couple movies recently. I got to see Spider-Man Homecoming and watched Thor Ragnarok. So I'm making some progress guys. I am watching some of this to catch up because usually like during football season, uh, two years ago, I watched one episode of a show. So now I'm, I'm getting, to, getting to catch up a little bit. So eventually I will finish this list off. I've got, I've got like 13 seasons of shows before I get to another movie, though. So uh, that, it's the thing that I'm watching the most right now is the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff. Yeah, I think it's worth noting that Shotgun has had this list for years. And he could have just sat down and been like, you know what, I'll watch all the important movies. But no, he has to make this so complicated that by the time that he gets to Endgame, he's going to be like, who are these people? Why does this matter? The fact no, that it's you not because haven't had a spoiler is shocking to me. There's been plenty of spoilers. I try to avoid them as much as possible. I've got Twitter, you know, uh, uh, omissions and stuff, you know, blocking certain words and whatnot. But... It's really fun how all this stuff is interconnected and how one episode, one movie at the end of it will lead into the next thing, uh, which will maybe it'll be an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode or something where they're having to clean up after this happened. It's, that's what's cool about the Marvel Cinematic Universe to begin with, that someone thought you know, back at the original um, Iron Man and said, hey, let's kind of plan this out to where this all ends up, where you know, we have this Avengers type of thing. And that's why, it's, why Avengers has been so successful, is bringing all those characters together and how everything kind of works together. Well, this just takes it to a whole other element. You know, there's just that many more characters, that many more things going on in this, this uh, uh, cartoon superhero world. Look, after hearing all that, look, I can't help but respect him for doing it. Although... In my opinion, it's not going to be worth it in the end. But that is your decision, and I wish you luck. And I will continue to look out for you to avoid spoilers. Or when I use a 
Endgame or Infinity War GIF in the P and tell you to stay <laughs> off that that thread. I will continue to do that. Uh, my question is, can you give me like what have been your favorite so far, like favorite movie or maybe season or uh, internet show? I don't know what you're watching these days or <laughs> I don't know what how deep you're going into this, but what has been your favorite standouts from the first, I don't know, three years of this project? I don't I just finished the Punisher first season, and now I'm on Runaway season one, which you guys have probably never heard of. Um, but no, the, the the movies are great. You know, uh, you know, Thor Ragnarok is, is obviously hilarious and, and is terrific, and the original Iron Man and uh, still stands up as one of the best. And you know how they were able to build on that, I think, is really cool. So, you know, I appreciate your your work helping me out in this, Chris, to to avoid spoilers as much as possible. Um, but it's not like I would be going to, you know, I, I'm way late on this, but it's not like I'd be going to the theaters to watch these movies anyways. It's not like I would have been watching Endgame or Infinity War in a theater. I don't really go to the movies. I watch movies later, if at all. I don't, I don't watch a ton of TV and stuff. So, you know, this is my one project that, of things to watch. So I've been working on it a little bit. Endgame was one of my best, maybe my best movie experience ever I was in, a, say- in a packed theater. Watching Marvel wanna... movies in theaters has been my favorite movie experiences. It's just like, I feel like the crowd just like, it's a different level. Everyone knows to like respect the art. It's just a good like communal experience. <laughs> Shotgun, can you just promise us that the next big Endgame Infinity War Marvel movie, whenever it happens in 10 years or whatever, can you please go on opening night? Can you please just experience that? <laughs> we'll see if I'm caught up by then. I will make you caught up. I will do everything in my power to make sure you are caught up by them. <laughs> I will do everything in my power, but I think you should experience it. It is freaking awesome. We'll see. Now, Damn it. Mr. Trevino. Yeah. I know one thing you're watching in quarantine because I re- recommended it to you. Love Island. It's incredible. Pro- it's the only thing proper that's... Proper buzzing. I'm buzzing over it. I'm proper buzzing. It's the only thing that's kept me... The UK version. Sorry, Shotgun. It's the only thing that's kept me sane in quarantine because these people are also quarantined in their own villa. And it's incredible. It's a trashy UK dating show, but it's hilarious. I love speaking in like little British phrases. It's a great time. I recommended it to Chris. Chris fell in love with it too. I recommend it to everyone. Start with season six. Work backwards. Incredible. Your thoughts, Mr. Trevino. It's just something that you can have on in the background, but it's also something you can have on to intently watch and be like, oh my God, what are you doing, Kim? You should not be doing that. Oh my God, what are you doing? He's coupled up with her. What are you doing? It's just one of those shows you can get lost in. Um, We've taken a lot of lingo. Mm -hmm. Like I've realized that Shotgun has proper chat. He gives great chat. Uh, I don't know if he does, not sure. I think he does, I think he does much chain smoking i didn't know brits smoked like that wait they smoke Uh, on the show yes they cut it out in like season four they stopped them allowing Uh, them to smoke or something like that that's why they don't smoke in season six chris is jumping around i'm going backwards he's now in three so we're we can't I i went to the trashiest best regarded as the best one season six is and and i just want to say the music slaps I don't know who the music editor is. So so modern. Uh, There's some bangers (laughs) in every... In season three, 
this freaking guy, one episode, this guy played the house theme song, which I know isn't, it's, isn't called the house theme song, but that's what people know it from. Interesting. That. Chris, what's your favorite term from this show? Bird is kind of good. Oh. Uh, but I don't really use that. Fit is nice. Pro- I like buzzing. Proper fit. She's so I proper like fit. What, what's my favorite? Oh, crack on. YouTube crack on then. Ridiculous. Yeah. Reality shows. Reality shows are terrible to begin with, and you guys are watching it on you know like six years later, probably or something. Here, it's still and you're watching great. The British version. It's still great. And my roommate, my roommate works on the American version. See, the ties are everywhere. Had to go to. Had to go to. Uh, Wait, there's an American version of Love Island. Yes, it was filmed in Fiji last year. So my roommate had to go to Fiji for a few weeks during the taping. First season was last year. They have not done it this year because, unfortunately, prop fit on CBS. So you can check out the American version as well and compare and contrast. They have an Australian version as well. So depending on how quarantine goes, I might be going through all of these things. I like rocket, proper rocket. <laughs> okay, Chris, I'm cutting it's you just, off on phrases. Alrighty, well, that's going to wrap up Quarantine Corner. If you guys have suggestions for us to watch, if you have watched British Love Island and want to jump in the conversation, tweet at us, let us know. Also, send us your questions, comments, concerns, familyfeudpod at gmail.com. But that's going to wrap it up. Chris Trevino, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, You are our cousin of the pod, friend of the pod, whatever you want to say. Shotgun, as always, love podcasting with you. Any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap it up? Short and stubby gang out. Let's go. Let's get it. (laughs) Gordon Stubby Gang, Turn of a Traveler, keep it going, guys. Keep it going. We're growing. We're growing in 2020. Let's go. <laughs> Alrighty, we're going to end on that note. That's Shotgun. That's Chris. I'm Kelly. We'll see y'all next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.